Hey guys, you're listening to Sermon of the Moment on the Good Lion Podcast Network. This is the show where we find the best sermons we can and get them back out to you so that you can be encouraged and blessed. Today we got Benji Horning. Benji is the lead pastor of Lights Church Encinitas. And he taught this message all about Jesus calming the storm and how it relates to our own fears and anxieties in our life. And I just was so blessed when I heard this. And I thought he shared some personal things from his life that were super vulnerable, super encouraging. And um, yeah, I'm excited for you to hear it. So without further ado, here is Benji Horning. Would you guys open up your Bible to Matthew chapter 8? Matthew chapter 8, we're going to be starting in verse 18 and reading through the end of the chapter, uh, and then we'll, we'll talk about a few things, but let's just go ahead and do that first. Matthew 8 verse 18 says, Now when Jesus saw a crowd around him, he gave orders to go over to the other side. And a scribe came up and said to him, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes. And birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Another of the disciples said to him, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, follow me and leave the dead to bury their own dead. And when he got into the boat, his disciples followed him. And behold, there arose a great storm on the sea so that the boat was being swamped by the waves, but he was asleep. And they went and woke him, saying, Save us, Lord, we are perishing. And he said to them, Why are you afraid, O you of little faith? Then he rose and rebuked the winds and the sea, and and there was a great calm. The men marveled, saying, What sort of man is this, that even the winds and the sea obey him? And when he came to the other side, to the country of the Gadarenes, two demon-possessed men met him coming out of the tomb so fierce that no one could pass that way. And behold, they cried out, what have you to do with us, O son of God? Have you come here to torment us before the time? Now a herd of many pigs was feeding at some distance from them and the demons begged him saying, if you cast us out, send us away into the herd of pigs And he said to them, go. So they came out and went into the pigs. And behold, the whole herd rushed down the steep bank and into the sea and drowned in the waters. The herdsmen fled and going into the city, they told everything, especially what had happened to the demon-possessed men. And behold, all the city came out to meet Jesus. And when they saw him, they begged him to leave their region. Let's pray. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, we are here today um, because of you. Uh, We're here to worship you and to give you the praise that you deserve. But Lord, we're also here to be transformed by you. Father, we thank you for the scriptures. We thank you for your word, Lord, that is not just a text to be studied, but it is living and active and it changes us today. So Holy Spirit, we give you the right and the freedom to speak to us. Lord, I pray that we would not hear a preacher. Lord, we would not hear a sermon. We would hear the Spirit of God speak to our hearts through the Word of God. Lord, I want to pray for those right now who who are coming and are tired or distracted. 
Uh, Lord, those who are hopeless and discouraged. Lord, that you would meet them here and that you would bring refreshing to them, Lord Jesus, like water. Lord God, that would pour over them on a hot day. Lord, I pray that every single person in this room would leave here having met with their creator. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, it is such a joy to be with you guys. Um, like Dan said, th- we view ourselves up at Light Church in Encinitas as a part of this. Um, we started at the same time. Uh, we have, uh, actually Phil introduced me to, to his brother Evan um, about a year ago when we started dialoguing and when we launched our churches at the same time, we felt very quickly that we were to do this together. Um, so recently we had Evan come and speak at our gathering. Um, and so we, I thought it would be really nice for him to come and speak on the passage that money's a problem, that wealth's a problem, because uh, I didn't want to speak on that. And so he did a great job, but then he got back at me by asking me to preach on a Sunday morning the final match of the World Cup. So... <laughs> Touche, Evan. You got me. And if you're checking your uh, phone for sports, let's pretend you're looking at the Bible app and we'll just call it good. Just don't tell me till the very end. Um, but it, it's amazing. Um, I'm, on, I'm here on behalf uh, of my family, uh, which is a part of everything that I do. I've been married to my wife for almost 12 years in a couple weeks. Um, and that, that alone is a miracle that she even said yes to dating me and that she's been married for, for this long. And we have four beautiful children. Uh, we have Zoe, Jubilee, and Vienna are our daughters. Uh, and then God blessed us with a son uh, a couple years ago. And there is more intensity and testosterone in this two-year-old boy than all of my girls' emotions and estrogens combined. It's incredible. Um, and so our house feels very balanced, even though he's just so tiny. Have you guys seen the movies Incredibles too? You know the, the, the character Jack-Jack? It's my son. So pray for me and us. Um, or give me some books to read. I don't know. He, he's, a, he's a lot to handle. Um, and he's not here today because of that anyways. Uh, but uh, I'm excited about this text. I'm excited about um, what God wants to do today through this. And it has been, uh, every time I preach, uh, I let the, the, the scriptures speak to me first. And this week has been no different. This passage has been challenging me, encouraging me, um, and, and really transforming a lot of my heart. So I want to just tell you a brief story. Um, and then I'm going to talk a little bit about the expectation for this morning. So when I was a, a, a little boy, we had moved into a new house in my, uh, and so it's a brand new house, and I'm taking a bath. I'm just at the age where you can kind of take baths by yourselves, and your parents don't have to check on you. Uh, and so I'm like stoked, right? I'm setting up my G.I. Joes, right, along the, around the edge of the tub. Everything's going good. The water's filling up, and I go and turn off the tub that my parents started for me, uh, and I realize I don't know how to turn off the water, it's a different kind of faucet. It's a different kind of way. So I don't know how to. So I'm doing what every guy does, and they try and figure it out themselves first. They do everything they can do without asking for help. And so I'm trying to figure these things out. The GI Joes aren't helping. Uh, so I finally, I finally just yell out. I'm just like, my dad, dad, come! And my dad's, he's a, he's a big dude. He's like six foot four. This big guy, and I hear him come running up the stairs, just like boom, 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 boom. I'm like, okay, good, Dad, Dad's here. 
And, and as he runs up the stairs and he comes and, and he starts banging on the door and he's like, he's like, Benji, open up, open up the door, open up the door. I'm like, I'm like, okay. So I, I'm going and I walk over to, to the door. It's kind of a big bathroom. And my dad, I don't know this. He thinks that I'm burning. Like the, the way I screamed, <laughs> it was kind of like a girl, I think. Uh, he, he's like, he thinks I'm dying at some point. Uh, so he's, he's frantic and I'm trying to get over there but my hands are slippery, right? The floor is slippery. And I'm trying to unlock the lock. I'm trying to let him in. He's like, open the door. I'm like, I'm like, okay, dad. And all of a sudden my dad on the other side thinks it's a good idea to kick down the door. So he just goes, boom. And I'm standing right there. <laughs> And I go flying, I kid you not, across the room into the bathtub that is now overflowing with water and G.I. Joe's. And my dad looks at the flattened door and his flattened son in water. And he's just, and I, I, and I can't remember what he looked like. I think I blacked out. But, but all I remember is this next moment. Is I remember my dad grabbing a towel, wrapping me up, and going, and I remember sitting in this blue old floral recliner in his room. It's so vivid in my mind, and he's, and he's holding me. And there's two thoughts that came to my mind, in my, in my little boy kind of mind. And these are the first thoughts. Wow, my dad is strong. <laughs> like, I was amazed. I still wonder if I could do that. Like, if, there are moments, I haven't tried it yet, we're renting. But um, <laughs> you know how that goes. I want the deposit back. Anyways, uh, but the other thought that I had was, wow, my dad is strong. But the second thing that I realized is there was something about his embrace that felt incredibly safe. And, and it, was, it was kind of paradoxical, even in my little mind, that both of these things existed at the exact same time, his strength and power and his love and embrace. And this passage displays these very two characteristics of God. So this, here's my uh, ask of you this morning, is that would you open up your heart to imagine and let your spirit expand in its ability to understand that the power of God you think he has may be even just bigger. Not in the text, but for you today. I think a lot of times it's easy to study about the power of God and be like, wow, Jesus was amazing. But the practicality, the practical theology of believing God's power for today seems to be something that is studied, not anticipated. And the second thing that I hope for, and I hope for every single day of my life, is that we would grow in our understanding of God's love for us. And so we're going to kind of walk through three different uh, sections here that are nicely broken up to us in uh, Matthew's gospel. Uh, but before we do that, just a little bit of context of what we're walking, walking into here. Uh, in case you're new, we have been going through, and I say we as Light Church and Park Hill, we've been going through the Sermon on the Mount, right? Jesus' manifesto of the kingdom. This incredibly brilliant series of teachings that he is laying out his kingdom, his way of life for human flourishing. And as he's doing this, He's doing this written by the author of Matthew, who is doing a very intentional job of mapping Jesus' life along the life of Moses. And he's doing this because his audience is Jewish. And if you're Jewish, especially an ancient Palestinian Jew, your world was Moses. Your hero was Moses. Your entire way of life was constructed under the teachings of Moses. And so Matthew tells the story of Jesus through this map. And he does that by having Jesus do this massive teaching on a mount, just the way Moses gave this Ten Commandments on a mount. 
And then after Moses gives the Ten Commandments, he comes off the mountain and Jesus comes off the mountain. And Evan last week uh, spoke an incredibly powerful uh, message about how God, Jesus, coming off the mountain goes and touches the physically handicapped he goes and touches the racially, uh, the racially outsider and ostracized. And then he goes and tuck, touches a woman who would have been uh, kind of generally pushed to the margins. And this is the first act that we see Jesus doing. But I want to read you just a quick passage of what happens after Moses gives the Ten Commandments. What does God do? Because in a little bit, we're going to draw back to this imagery. So this is going to be in Exodus chapter 20. This is right after Yahweh gives the Ten Commandments and Moses delivers them to the people. And I want us to use our imaginations here as we, as we read this. Let's, uh, one, one of my mentors say, smell the text. All right, let's use our imaginations as we read this. So the Ten Commandments have been given to the people of Israel, freshly liberated out of, uh, out of Egypt. Verse 18 says, when the people saw the thunder and lightning and heard the trumpet and saw the mountain in smoke, they trembled with fear. And here's what I want you to pick up. They stayed at a distance and said to Moses, speak to us yourself and we will listen, but do not have God speak to us or we will die. Moses said to the people, do not be afraid. God has come to test you so that the fear of God will be with you to keep you from sinning. The people remained at a distance while Moses approached the thick darkness where God was. Right? This incredibly vivid, powerful display of God's might and splendor resting on Mount Sinai. And it's so, it's so awe-inspiring and awesome that the people actually are like, this is too much. We're going to stay back. Moses, you go for us. And so this is why it's so significant that when Jesus, after he gives the Sermon on the Mount, he gives the law, not with new commandments, but through himself, he comes off the mountains and doesn't say, come check me out. He goes to the fringe and to the margin and he goes and touches them. It's such a beautiful paradox that we see here where the power of God invites people, but now the power of God is going to people. And he heals people and touches people and makes them right. And so this is where we pick up our story. And like I said, we're going to be talking about three things here. I think they're going to be up on the screen. Um, we're going to talk about a great cost, but a greater cause, a great chaos, but a greater calm, a great chasm, but a greater compassion. And we're going to kind of walk through this text together. So let's begin with a great cost and a greater cause. So after Jesus heals these series of people, then becomes this very interesting dialogue between two men and Jesus it says, when Jesus saw the crowd around him, he gave orders to cross to the other side of the lake. So Jesus is, has this amazing momentum, right? Like he's building followers, like at a tremendous rate. There's crowds growing. And then he decides to do something that no American ever would. He leaves it. Doesn't capitalize on it. He's like, let's go. And so... He gives orders to cross to the other side of the lake. Then a teacher of the law, who would have been like a scribe or a Pharisee, someone who would have been a religious elite of the day, 
came to him and said, teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. And that term teacher uh, would have been kind of a lateral phrase. It's kind of respectful, like sir, something like that. But he probably views himself as a teacher. So this scribe comes to Jesus and says, hey, you're kind of like me. And he, and he gives him kind of a, a big ask. And he says, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus reply to him was, foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the son of man has no place to lay his head. He immediately challenges his comfort. He's like, you don't have what it takes. You want to follow me, but you don't understand what you're about to do is you're about to leave everything that feels comfortable for you. And he doesn't, Matthew doesn't record his response. We don't know if he went or left. But then someone else comes, and this one is not a lateral thing. He actually is a disciple. He's a follower of Jesus already and calls him Lord. So this is, this is a, a term that is going up to a place of authority, right? He says, Lord, first, or he says, another disciple says, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. And Jesus told him, follow me and let the dead bury their own dead. Now, this is maybe one of the most insensitive things I think you could tell someone who's grieving, Right? As someone who's lost loved ones, I, it, it's almost offensive the, the way how just nonchalant Jesus is like, let the dead bury their own dead. And you're like, ouch, Jesus? Like, there's got to be a better way to say this. Uh, but there's probably a couple of things going on here, as there normally is within ancient Jewish literature. And most scholars believe that what the man here is asking is he's not saying my father just died, which he would have had 24 hours to begin the burial process. But he's probably saying, my father is going to die. Let me bury him. And so there's a couple things going on here. One just could be his love and endearment for the father. But the reality is if his father's dying, he's about to receive an inheritance. So his life is about to look a lot different. And all he has to do is wait around to do the burial. And so he's telling Jesus, he's like, dude, I'm all in. I'm ready to go with you. But I'm about to come up on this amazing deal. And so if you could just hold on for one second, it would be great. And then I'll come follow you. And Jesus just says, I have stuff to do and I can't wait. And again, doesn't record his response either. We don't know if he went and buried his father. We don't know if he followed Jesus. But there is this point that, that Matthew's trying to make through his writing, that he's trying to let people know very early on that to follow Jesus and the way of Jesus will be costly. And this is kind of our first point. There's a great cost to following Jesus. And if anyone tells you otherwise, then they probably aren't telling you the whole truth. And and the reason I can say that with a smile on my face is because there's a great cost, but there's always a greater cause. I love Dallas Willard puts this so brilliantly when he talks about the cost of non-discipleship. And he's doing this in reflection to Dietrich Bonhoeffer's Cost of Discipleship book, and he's reflecting upon it. And he says, yes, there is a great cost to following Jesus. There's a great cost to be an apprentice right, of, this, of this rabbi from Nazareth. But there is a greater cost for non-discipleship. I just want to read a quote, quote by Dallas Willard, and he says this. The cost of non-discipleship is far greater, even when this life alone is considered, than the price paid to walk with Jesus Non-discipleship costs, listen to this list, abiding peace, a life penetrated throughout by love, faith that sees everything in the light of God's overriding governance for good, 
hopefulness that stands firm in the most discouraging of circumstances, power to do what is right and withstand the forces of evil. In short, it costs exactly that abundance of life Jesus said he came to bring. The cross-shaped yoke of Christ is, after all, an instrument of liberation and power to those who live in it with him and learn the meekness and loneliness of heart that brings rest to the soul. The correct perspective is to see following Christ not only as the, nece- the necessity it is, listen to this, but the fulfillment of the highest human possibilities and as life on the highest plane. I love that. Following Jesus costs a lot, but what you gain, the life that you gain is so incredibly powerful. And that's what the disciples who decided to go with Jesus were about to see. They were about to see the power and love of God in ways they had never even imagined. And that's what following Jesus is like. But we have a decision to make. And if we don't count the cost, then something will happen. We'll be like, we feel, we'll feel misled. So let me tell you a, a short, short story. A couple of weeks ago, my family's in town and my nephew had tons of cousins, like nephews and nieces. And my nephew, Wesley, he's about five years old and he's just learned how to swim, but he's not really good at it yet. So he doesn't need a floaty, but you just kind of watch him. And every single time you're like, I wonder if he's going to make it. So... I'm lifeguard, and I like to push people, you know. I'm like a good coach. So I just want to see how good this guy is going to do. So Wesley jumps in the pool, and he starts swimming. And, and as he's swimming, all of a sudden, he kind of pokes his little head up with his little goggles and stuff like that. And he hears, help. And he goes under the water. <laughs> help. He goes under the water. Help. And, and I'm watching this, and, I'm, and, and something comes over me. Right? I'm dressed kind of just like this, fully clothed. I wasn't planning on swimming. And all of a sudden, in that moment, I realized my, my nephew's drowning. And without thinking about it, I, I jump into the pool, grab my nephew, pull him out. He take, he, he's like taking in a little bit of water, but he's okay. His mom comes out. It's kind of this big commotion. And, and it kind of like felt good. I'm like, wow, like this is, this is really nice. But the reality is in that moment, then I realized, I'm like, man, I have wet jeans. Is there anything worse than wet jeans? In the entire world, I mean, right? Probably. But for me, in that moment, I'm like, I, everything, my wallet, everything is just soaked, right? My shoes, and I have no clothes, and I'm far away from my house. But what's so funny is how weird would it be as his uncle to stand at the edge of the pool watching him drown and being like, I don't know if I want to get wet. Is there some other way? Like, maybe can, hold on, Wesley, I'm going to go change real fast, and then I'll come rescue you. I would be an awful uncle and human being. Was it costly? Yeah, I, I was uncomfortable the rest of the night, but I didn't even think about it more than a second because my nephew's life was so much more valuable. And what Jesus is inviting us is to say, listen, you're gonna get your jeans wet here. You're gonna be a little uncomfortable. You're not gonna live a life like the world is telling you how to live, but you will enter into a cause and you will enter into a story that is so much more significant and powerful and profound because you are entering into the business of redemption and rescuing people. And yes, there is a great cost, but there's a greater cause that Jesus is inviting us into. And those who said yes, get a front row seat to what happens next. So let's go back into the text here in Matthew 8, verses 23. And we're going to be talking about a great chaos, right? A great storm, but a greater calm that comes. Then he got into the boat and his disciples followed him. 
Suddenly, a furious storm. By the way, the Greek word there literally is the same word for earthquake. I mean, this is not just your typical San Diego weather we all complain about, right? This is serious. Comes up on the lake so that the waves swept over the boat. But Jesus was sleeping. <laughs> so funny. It's just like my wife. She's such a sound sleeper. I don't, it's, it's a miracle. Um, that's the real miracle. Anyways, verse 25. The disciples went and woke him saying, Lord, save us. We are going to drown. He replied, you of little faith, why are you so afraid? Then he got up and rebuked the winds and the waves and it was completely calm. The men were amazed and asked, what kind of man is this? Even the winds and the waves obey him. So here's the scenario, right? They get into the sea. And again, going back to Jewish literature, the sea is always portrayed as a place of uncertainty and darkness and chaos. So whenever you see the sea come up in literature, with, almost without fail, it normally means something bad's about to happen, right? Like the music's just turned up. It's kind of the creepy music and the minor chords. And, and all of a sudden, they're on the sea, and something starts to happen. This great storm starts to come that is literally shaking their world. And what's shocking here is Jesus finds himself sleeping on the boat. But this is what I find more interesting at this moment, is that... We have to remember who's on the boat. Most, not most, but a lot of Jesus' disciples had what kind of profession? Remember? They were fishermen. They were used to the sea. They were, they were watermen. They knew storms. They knew how to weather them. They knew what to do when they came. And even the bad ones, all of these guys have been through storms the rest of their life, and they've never died from them before. So can't you imagine with me? That as the storm is building and Jesus is sleeping, there's almost like this sense like, hey, Peter, you do this. Andrew, go get the helm, go this. And there's orders being going around because these guys know how to handle chaos. These guys know how to handle storms. And they lean into their own strength or their own ability till they finally get to a place where they just absolutely say, we're going to die. Notice they don't tell Jesus, what do you think? Do you think the storm's bad enough? How should we handle this? Their announcement to him is we are going to die because they're the experts of this field. They've assessed the situation and they know exactly the severity of the chaos they're in. And when they wake up Jesus, they, although they ask him to save him, they announce him, this is the state we're in. We've exhausted every amount of resource and strength and know-how that we have within ourselves. Can you do anything? Now, let's just stop right here because this is, I think, so significant for us 2,000 years later. You may not be a fisherman or a fisherwoman. You may not be caught in a physical storm, but every single one of us have chaos swirling around us. We live in this broken and this fallen world. Maybe that's the news of a family member who just got diagnosed with something. Maybe you've just been let go of a job. Maybe you just, your car broke down and you don't have the money to fix it to get to your job. Maybe you've been struggling with mental health and anxiety and you don't know what to do. And there is this storm that's been swirling around you. And if you're like me, in those moments, you press in and you lean into your own strength and ability to get you out of it. I'm going to do whatever I can do to get myself out of this storm. I'm really glad Jesus is in my boat, but he's fine if he's just sleeping. I'm going to get myself out of it. 
For me, it's something I overthink it. I overanalyze. And I think if I think hard enough and I strategize well enough, I'll get myself out of this problem. If I study enough scripture, then maybe I'll rev- something will be revealed to me that will get me out of these things. But I, it, it's really about me. And here are these men who are masters of the sea, finally come to a place where they say, Jesus, I have nothing left. Save us. And Jesus wakes up. And what I love about Matthew's account of this story is he doesn't calm the ocean and then calm them down. He calms them down and then the storm. Listen, friends, I believe that there are people in this room right now that have severe storms going on in your life. And does Jesus care about your circumstances? Does he have the power to change them? Absolutely. But he also has the power to calm you first. He has the ability to come right into your situation, speak to the storms and the wind in your own soul, and then watch what he can do with your life. Because for them, the, there, there was two rebukings. One was for their faith and one was for the storm. And it happened in a specific order. Because it'd be easy to make the wind calm and then be like, guys, calm down. They're like, okay, now I can. But there was a few seconds there where they had to choose peace and shalom because they were with Jesus, even though there was still a storm raging around them. And then Jesus came and delivered on that promise and showed his power over what Jewish people would say was the most uncontrollable chaos in their known world. This is so huge. I mean, do we, do we understand that there's not a single thing, listen to me, there's not a single thing in your life right now that Jesus does not have power or authority over. Right, he's the dad kicking down the bathroom door. If there's something blocking his ability to be with you, he has the strength to get there. He has the resources to provide what you need to do. But he's more interested in you unlocking and being aware of the power of his presence. And I believe God wants to do something today with that. I, 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 can I sh- share a brief story about the most chaotic time in my life? About nine years ago, we got a phone call that my wife's father passed away in a horrific and tragic way. My wife's father was everything to her. Like literally, I've never seen a relationship closer and her world was rocked. Man, nine years later, it was so bad. And as she lost her father in a strange way, I lost my wife. She went into a deep depression. And at the time, we were youth pastors and we're ministering to young people. And after a couple weeks, I had to go back and I'm preaching these sermons. And what I found is as I was trying to heal and minister to her grief, I found myself not caring for myself. And what happened is as I suppressed my own hurt and my own pain, it started to manifest in two ways. One, physically, I started having vertigo, severe vertigo. It still comes up to this day that um, I couldn't drive for about two or three months. I had to sleep multiple times throughout the day just for relief. But more than worse than that is the first time in my life I started dealing with anxiety. I started having anxiety attacks and panic attacks. I started going to see a Christian counselor and a therapist and they helped me through this process. But there was a moment I want to share with you. Just like the disciples, 
I was getting up on a Sunday night, I was about to preach a sermon just like this, and something I had prepared for, something I believed in, but I got up and I, and I realized a moment before that I had nothing left. My wife is so far deep in grief. I'm struggling with managing my own mental health and physical health. And I'm trying to tell people about the abundant life of Jesus. And guys, can I just tell you, I had nothing left. So I got up on stage and I literally did what the disciples did. I said, I have nothing. I'm like, I don't know what to tell you. I'm so sorry. I feel like I'm failing you. I feel like this is what I'm supposed to do. I'm supposed to be good at this thing, but I'm not right now. I don't have the strength and the power to be able to do this. And what happened in that moment is a bunch of junior high and high school students surrounded me and my wife and started to pray for us. And guess what? Jesus, who was always in our boat, became so awake to us. And it was the day that healing started happening in my family. It wasn't because I knew the right things or had the right theology. It was because I finally came to the point where I woke up Jesus and I said, I can't do this. And he's like, I know, I can. That's for some of you today. All you need to do is to cry out and say, I can't. Would you? Would you come into this place in my life? Listen, Hebrews 13, eight says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. If he could do it then, he can do it now. And some of you just need to remember that. If he could do it then, he can do it now. His love has not changed. He is the same. His love and his power for you has not shifted. There may be a great chaos, but let me tell you, friends, there's a greater calm that comes with Jesus. The third, third and last thing I just want to talk about is how the story ends is after Jesus gets off the boat, we're gonna pick up in Matthew 8, verses 28 through 34, and we're gonna talk about a great chasm, this great divide, but a greater compassion that crossed it. Verse 28 says, when he arrived on the other side of the region of the Gadarenes, two demon-possessed men coming out from the tombs met him. (laughs) Welcoming party, hello. (laughs) They were so violent that no one could pass that way. What do you want with us, son of God, they shouted. In Luke and Mark's account, this refers to them as legion. There's 2,000 or so demons. There's multiple demons. Uh, in Matthew's account, there's two guys in Mark and Luke. There's one, but whoever, however many guys there were, there's a lot of demons, right? Fully outnumbered. Have you come to torture us before the appointed time? Some distance from them, a large herd of pigs were feeding. The demons begged Jesus, if you drive us out, send us into the herd of pigs. And he said to them, go. So they came out and went into the pigs and the whole herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and died in the water. Those tending the pigs ran off, went into the, uh, pigs ran off, went into the town and reported all this, including what had happened to the demon-possessed men. I love the ESV, especially What happened to the demon-possessed men? Then the whole town went out to meet Jesus, and when they saw him, they pleaded with him to leave the region. So what's happening here? So N.T. Wright, in his commentary on this chapter, says this. The entire chapter 8 is a massive crescendo, which is a music term meaning the music is swelling and it's building. And so what Jesus was doing in the beginning of the chapter, he's still doing. He's coming to the fringe. He's going to the margin. He's healing. He's bringing wholeness. He's revealing power and greater power and greater power. And it crescendos and reaches its climax and its 
focal point at the end of this chapter when Jesus gets off the boat after crossing this lake from a very fruitful ministry on the other side and he shows up and he's met with a, with a couple of guys who are filled with thousands of demons. And just as Jesus calmed the winds and the waves, here comes these demons men who are so violent and lived amongst tombs that they meet him and, they, and, they, and I love what happens here is they are, these demons are reduced to begging, please. The only power in the Jewish imagination greater than the sea would have been the demonic. And here we have the greatest power that could come against God, begging and pleading from this rabbi from Nazareth, please. And the audience and the readers of this first text would have just been overwhelmed by the authority and the power that Jesus is showing here. Right? He, and let's, but let's imagine here, again, this wasn't written in our context. So if you're an original audience, an original hearer, this is a really radical part of the story for a couple of reasons. Number one reason is this. Jesus is now in Gentile territory. And Gentile is just a fancy word of saying non-Jewish. And that's a big deal because if you were a Jewish person, you have been under slavery for hundreds of years. And you are in the middle of a movement of trying to regain a sense of religious and national purity within your Jewish thing. And part of that was you did not associate with Gentiles. And so Jesus just gave this sermon on the mount. Let's, let's think about this. He comes off the mountain. He doesn't invite us up to it. He comes off the mountain, starts touching the people. Like Evan said, that would have been the last people you would have expected. But then he goes a step further because he's not just healing Jewish people anymore. He leaves the Jewish crowd, gets in a boat, weathers a storm, calms the sea, and shows up on the very edge of this Gentile ter territory. And he's not met with, with centurions and Roman guards. He's met with two demon-possessed Gentile men who have been completely ostracized, not just by Jewish people, but by Gentile people. This was the lowest of the low when it comes to the socioeconomic and religious status quo of the day. They could not get lower. And there's not like a crowd of them. There is a couple. And Jesus de delivers this incredible miracle by casting them out of these men, providing liberation and wholeness for these people who've been suffering for God knows how long. They've been craving for this day. Jesus frees them. And then the only people who witness it are pig farmers. And the pig farmers just lost thousands of pigs. But you know what I love? They went and told the town what happened. And I love what it says in the original Greek. It talks about they told people about everything happened, especially about these two men. That's how powerful it was. Now, if you lost your entire economic system for your city, that's big news, right? If someone's like, hey, sorry, there's no more oil, there's no more military, there's no more uh, fruits and vegetables, whatever the economic system of that day looks like pigs were theirs, it's gone. But the story they're telling is the story of freedom for these men that they've watched live in tombs, dem demoniacs for years, and they come back in like, hey, listen, we just lost all of our money, but that's not the point. These guys are free. 
In Mark, in Luke's account, actually says that, that one of the demon-possessed men goes to Jesus and says, can I follow you? Right? They're not just healed and they walk around doing their business. They become followers of Jesus. And he comes to him and Jesus says this, don't follow me, go and tell people what happened to you. Go tell people and, and spread the word. But I love what happens next and I want you to catch this. They ask him to leave and Jesus leaves. Think about the amount of energy and time and attention that Jesus took out of his ministry, out of his flourishing, successful ministry to the Jewish people to cross the sea, almost kill his disciples, show up on the shores of a land, heal two guys that everyone has written off, and then he goes back to ministering in Capernaum. How important I need you to get this. How important were those two men to the heart of God that he would take that much energy and resource and risk for their healing and to go back? This is why into this is the crescendo. You could not get a more radical and ridiculous display of love, but not just loving the people you would think. These are the people that would be the last on your list that would ever receive or be worthy of God's love. And some of you in this room think that's you. Here's the problem. Some of you actually believe that God is a God of love for everyone else except for you. Some of you are convinced that God displays mercy and grace, but you are still locked in your own shame and guilt. And God wants to remind you today, I am coming for you, not just for everyone else. And believe me, as Americans, most of the times we read the scriptures too individualistically and we need to read it more communally. But in this existence, this was all about the individual. And some, there may be an individual here today that needs to hear this, that Jesus died on the cross, yes, for the whole world, but he also did it for you. He didn't just cross the lake, he crossed to the divine for you. He left his throne in heaven for you. He didn't just risk, risk possibly dying, he did die for you. If you think this was an incredible journey to show mercy and love, look at the cross for the greatest journey of mercy and love. And he would have done it if you were the only one on the shores of your life. That he would leave everything that was his, rightfully his, in his divine heavenly throne because he knew that you, the most undeserving and unworthy person in the world, had captured his heart. That's me, it's you. This is all of us. And as amazing as this story is, the cross is 10 times better. And we can never stop telling that story. When um, I, t- I was telling you about my son, it's kind of crazy. And one day I got home from, from work and, and, he, and he's there at the door and he loves me. And I'm not just saying that. My son loves me. I'm his hero and he's not old enough to know any other right now, but he, I'm still convinced him I'm awesome. And so he, and he sees me and he's just like, da-da. He grunts all the time. I don't know what it is. He's like, da-da. But he's covered in pizza sauce, like 
they say spaghetti or something like that, right? And I, and I know you're going to probably think I'm a horrible dad. I hate, like, messes and sticky and gross stuff like that. So I was like, Augustine, oh, whoa. I'm like, hold on, Jen, can you get him? Like, and she's like, and she's like what? She's like, in the other room, he missed you. I'm like, uh, I'm like, what do I do? I'm literally walking, and he's chasing me. At this point, he's crying. He's like, dad, dad, pick me up. I'm like, no, dude, you're gross. Like, go get a hose or something wrong with you and he's chasing me around the house and 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 so finally I'm like ah fine so we get to it I'm like let's go to your room and get to his room I literally am like palming his head this is away from me and I have a a, an entire bag of wipes and I'm just like kind of doing that and he's just crying and I'm like dude I'll pick you up in like five minutes I just got to clean you off and in that moment the Holy Spirit speaks to me and he says pick him up and you know those moments you're like, was that God? <laughs> it's probably just me. It's just the burrito I ate for lunch, right? And then the second time, the Lord says, pick him up. So I picked up my gross son. <laughs> and I hate it, guys. This is not like a cool moment. I, I felt like, and, just, and he just nuzzles into my, like, pizza sauce and a beard is not cool. I'm just, like, I'm just covered in, like, his junk. And, and a couple things happen. The first thing is he stops crying. And the second thing, the Lord speaks to me again. He says, he says, now you can begin to clean him. So I start to clean him, and he's calming down. And then I, and I hear these words, and it literally, this little funny moment changed my life. And he says, aren't you glad I didn't have you clean yourself up before I embraced you? Aren't you glad I welcomed you? And the same way your son got your pizza sauce, his pizza sauce on you, I got your sin all over me. I took it from you. And in this relationship, I am now sanctifying you and cleansing you. And I'm literally crying in my son's bedroom, wiping pizza sauce. And Jen just walks in. She's like, what happened? (laughs) I'm like, I'm just having a moment right now. I'm going to invite Phil to come back up. Listen, my friends, there's... There exists these chasms in our lives where we just feel so distant from God. And part of that is is true. Without the cross, that's exactly how we should feel. But the minute you say yes to Jesus, the minute you open your eyes and your heart to the incredible saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, that chasm doesn't exist anymore. Not because of your cleanliness, but because of his compassion. Let me say that again. Your righteousness and wholeness does not exist because of your cleanliness, but because of his compassion. Because he crossed not a lake, but he crossed the divine to be with you, to see you, to bring wholeness to your life. And all you have to do is... Receive that. And that's what I believe this morning is an opportunity for. Some of you, this is it. Some some of you in this moment, you have never said yes to Jesus because you have yet to feel adequate enough. It's like like dating. Like, I just got to work on myself first before I'm ready for a guy or a girl, right? Like, I need some me time. Stop. This is not how Jesus works. You can't fix yourself up for Jesus. It'll never work. 
And someone in here today, and maybe most of you in here today, just need to hear that and just understand Jesus came for you in your brokenness, in your weakness. And in a moment, I'm gonna give you an opportunity to respond to that. But there also might be someone in here and you're dealing with, with the great chaos in your life right now. You, you haven't heard half the sermon because you have been so overwhelmed by the things that are in the back of your mind. And you, listen, you don't have to listen to the rest of the sermon, but hear this. Jesus wants to calm the storm in you today. I'm, oh, I'm so convinced of it. I'm so convinced of it. When Phil and I were driving here this morning, we're just talking about what God wanted to do. I'm convinced God wants to calm the storms in your soul this morning. And what he does with your circumstances, I believe he has the power to touch. But listen, when he does that and how he does that is not contingent on what he can do today in you. And lastly, there are some of you in here and you have been on the fence with your spirituality and your apprenticeship to Jesus. You've stood on the edge and you've looked at the cost and you have been in these moments where you've just been like, I, I know what this means. I don't know if I'm ready. And all you need to hear today is you're looking at the cost, but what you don't understand is it's costing you more. Step into relationship, to, to apprenticeship, to discipleship to Jesus. So I just wanna pray for you. I'm gonna invite everyone just to stand to their feet here. Let me stand up. And then we're gonna worship the Lord. We are going to wait to take communion. I know that's our, the practice here. We're gonna just take, we're gonna have one song because I don't want us to go into doing without us, with missing what God wants to do right here in this moment. So would you just close your eyes right now? I was gonna lead us in a prayer. And the first one is, is, is the one that I mentioned. If you're here this morning and you've never received the love of Jesus before, you've never known Jesus to come and rescue your life, and this is your day, this is your day that you just say, you know what, I wanna give my all to Jesus. I need him to take me in my mess, in my sin, and give me the cleansing that he can only give through his sacrifice and love. If, you, if that's you this morning, I'm gonna ask you just to do something. Would you just go ahead and lift up your hand right now? Awesome. Who's ready just to make that decision, to, to follow Jesus, to receive his healing and his love? Would you just lift up your hand? Not, not even anyone's looking right now. I'd just love to see that. Incredible. Anyone else? This is your day. This is your moment to begin a new relationship with Jesus through his love and his compassion for you. Amazing. Thank you, Jesus. Secondly, if you're here in this place, and I'm imagining that there are maybe many, including that dog, and you have been... You're in a season right now, it just feels like a storm and you just need Jesus to calm your soul. Would you just lift up your hand? Yeah, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. And then lastly, you can put your hands down. And the reason I'm doing this is not because I need to see, but I think there's something about us making decisions and crossing lines saying, I need this. And then lastly, if there's someone in here today and you have been on the fence, you know Jesus, you listen to his teachings, you show up at Park Hill every week, 
but this is your moment where you say, I, I want to get off the shore and into the boat. I've looked at the cost long enough and I'm ready to join the cause of Christ, the journey and the relationship he asks us into. If that's you, you're ready to become serious with your faith with Jesus and your apprenticeship to Jesus. Would you lift up your hand this morning? Awesome, so incredible, you guys. So proud of so many of you. It's beautiful. You can put your hands down. Would you, would you do me a favor? Um, would you go ahead and put your hand on the shoulder of the, the people to your right and your left? We're gonna pray over one another right now. I'm gonna lead us in a time of prayer. And after we're done praying, we are going to respond and worship the Lord. Jesus, we thank you for those on our right and our left, our brothers and our sisters in this place today. And Lord, I ask that right now that you would come. Holy Spirit, we invite you here. Lord, would this be so much more than a teaching? Would this be so much more than just a, a, a thing that we're learning or entertaining? But Holy Spirit, we invite you to come. God, we ask you come and transform us. For those of us who've been on the shores for far too long, would you right now through your love propel us into apprenticeship and discipleship to you, Jesus, an authentic and wild faith. Well, I pray for those right now on our right and our left who are dealing with storms in their lives, Lord God, the chaos of the uncertainty of what's going on, that right now in the name of Jesus, that every one of those storms, every one of those thoughts, every one of those uncertainties, that every sickness in this place, Lord Jesus, that everything that is causing us to come to the end of ourselves, Lord, we gladly come and say, Jesus, we need you. Jesus, we need you, Lord, in our lives, in the lives of the person on our right and our left. Would you come in a powerful way? God, we thank you that you have the power over sin and darkness, over, over sickness, Lord Jesus. And we ask that that power would come in this place. Lord, that your love, accompanied by your power, would come for the very least of these. Those shoved to the margins of life would encounter your love in such a real way. Lord, and that we would not leave the same because we have encountered the loving, powerful Jesus Christ. In your name we pray, amen. Amen. Hey, let's worship together.